This is the Jabberjaw Podcast Network. Visit JabberjawMedia.com for more shows like this one. We had such great panels for our 100th episode taping that we actually had to turn it into two episodes. Welcome to the future of what? I'm your host, Portia Sabin, president of the independent record label, Kill Rockstars. Support for the future of what comes from Merch Table. With over 15 years of experience in merchandising, screen printing, tour support, and online fulfillment, Merch Table partners with artists and labels looking to jumpstart their businesses. Visit merchtable.com to learn more and open a store today. Today we hear from some industry professionals on how to take care of your business, and also from the folks who are coordinating the new nonprofit, Music Portland. It's all coming up on The Future of What. Support for the future of what comes from Sound Exchange. You're listening to the future of what. We're talking to Maggie Vale, Ben Hubbard, Sierra Hager, and Wade Metzler. So, what I thought we would do first is just have everybody go down the line and give just a little brief summary of, of what your organization does, just so everybody knows. So, Maggie, would you start, please? Yes. Cash Music is a nonprofit organization, and our mission is to help artists become sustainable in the digital age which is kind of a broad, <laughs> large ambition. But, and we do that in a couple of different ways. We build open source digital tools, so everything that you need to connect directly to your audience from your own website, we build that. So shopping cart, a subscription service like Patreon style. We do email for a download, run the jewels, use that. We do tour day management, all that kind of stuff that you need. And then we also do education on our publication called Watt. Awesome. Hello, I'm Ben Hubbard. Uh, I work at CD Baby, and CD Baby, if you don't know, is a independent music distributor for DIY artists to get their music out to both digital services like Spotify, Apple, Amazon, etc., and also to physical retailers. And we work with about 450,000 artists around the world and have a catalog of about 7 million or so tracks in distribution. Hi, I'm Sierra Hager. I am a founder of Public Display PR. We're a company based in Portland that works with independent bands and labels to promote and plan and publicize album releases and other stuff like that. We have worked with maybe 70 bands ever. So... <laughs> All right, I'm going to one-up both of you because, so I, Wade Metzler, I work for Sound Exchange, and I head up the West Coast operations for Sound Exchange, and we represent every performing artist and every record label for their digital performance royalties. This means anything that's played on, well, used to be everything that's played on Pandora, but most of it now, Sirius XM, iHeartRadio, any sort of digital radio streaming service. So different from a direct service like Spotify, Tidal, or Apple. Is that what they're called? Apple. Apple Music. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> um, where they do direct deals. This is a, we, we represent everyone for a radio-like service, like if you think of iHeartRadio or SiriusXM, where this is something where you can pick Band of Horses Radio on Pandora. You can't pick Band of Horses, the song The Funeral. 
which would be different from what a actual direct service would do. So that money comes into us and we make sure that, you know, we license over 3,500 different services. We make sure that that money, as it comes into us, 50% uh, goes to the record label, 45% goes directly to the artist, not to the record label, so there's no recoupables or anything that comes out of that. 5% goes to the Musicians Union, AFM, to make sure that any sort of background musicians or background vocalists are paid on those, on those uh, songs as well. So basically every single person on this stage right now is in a position where they can help artists make money. I would say the idea here is if you're an artist, you have a business, you have a small business, you're probably a sole proprietor or possibly an LLC, and you really need to figure out how to run that business properly and how to collect all the sources of income that you've got. And it's become much more challenging unless those of us who've been in the music business for more than, you know, six years have had discovered that it's become a lot more challenging. Sound Exchange is an amazing organization. I want to pinpoint you guys start with because Sound Exchange is literally for everybody. There's no artist that Sound Exchange does not touch. If you have a song out there in the world, you must be registered with Sound Exchange. And now you guys had some trouble in the early days getting people to understand that you just existed to give them money, right? Correct. My division heads up industry relations. And four years ago, even back four years ago, we would email or call somebody and say, you know, we got a trunk load of cash waiting for you for all the money that was being played on or your music being played on Sirius XM or Pandora or whatever. And they were like, yeah, you do. You know, so it'd be like you would you would be amazed by the artists that I have dealt with that had no idea and we seriously had, you know, like I say, a trunk load of cash waiting for them. So now it has come a little bit full circle where everybody knows that now we are 16% of all revenue that comes into the music industry comes through Sound Exchange and gets paid out, which is pretty amazing because I think when we first started a little over 10 years ago, I think our first distribution was for $20 million and last year we gave out almost $900 million. So, you know, it's substantial. And this is something that is, as an artist, there's no downside to it. So, or as a label. So you sign up, when you get played, you get paid. And that's what we're working on very hard. I mean, there's, there's, there's a very, unfortunately in the United States, we don't get paid, the artists don't, and labels don't get paid on terrestrial radio, which is AM, FM play. Where we're every we're other working on that. What's yeah. that? So we're, we're working, we're on, working that. on that very but hard, yeah, but for it sure, through yet. the Fair Play, Fair Play Act. It's very sad because there's only four industrialized nations in the world that do not pay on this terrestrial radio. It's United States, North Korea, <laughs> Iran, and China. So not only does that mean that artists aren't earning from terrestrial radio here in the States when you're being played on AM, FM radio, it means that there's no reciprocal payment from the UK or France or where everywhere else where your music's being paid to actually be played on terrestrial, when you're played on terrestrial radio. So that money goes out to their artists. So it's something that we're working on very heavily with a lot of the people in the music industry. But when it comes to actual digital streaming radio, we've got your back and that's where, the, that's where most of our money's coming from and going out. So Ben, I want, I want to ask you, because you, you named some big numbers that I don't remember, but I remember when CD Baby started, and that was, I mean, that was just small time. It was like, you know, band here, band there. So what, what happened? What do you think, what do you attribute the success of CD Baby to? I mean, I think the cool thing about CD Baby is that we're really only successful to the extent that 
DIY musicians are successful. And I think one of the things that we've seen is the lengthening of the tail, I guess, is the way that you would look at it, that there are more independent musicians now than ever in the history of the world. And that's great because we have awesome communities like this and we have, incre- like I said, huge numbers of, of musicians putting out music through us and through other independent distributors. The other side of that coin is that the pie is being sliced into smaller and smaller pieces and the pieces are made up of smaller and smaller pieces. It feels like there's almost a fragmentation problem. And so the work of company or organizations like Sound Exchange is, is and Cash Music for that matter, and of awesome publicists is hugely important, I think, to highlighting the work that independent musicians are doing and, and, and making sure that they're getting paid every dollar that they're earning. As far as CD Baby, I think to some extent we were just the right place at the right time. Like we were one of the first companies, one of the initial sort of launch partners with the iTunes store when digital music was first sort of democratized and people were able to get their music into what was viewed as sort of a major label catalog for the first time. So I think that's part of it and part of why we've been sort of an industry leader and also just really incredible people that have worked really hard to make sure that the company maintains relevance despite being named for a piece of (laughs) obsolete physical media. (laughs) It's not obsolete. CDs are still cool. Tell your friends. <laughs> the margins on those things are great. They're fantastic. <laughs> you know, I work with a lot of emerging artists, and they all mention CD Baby still to this day about someone that is really helping them, and that is really where they're able to obviously get their music out there and help, and they're very grateful for what you guys are doing. It's awesome. Awesome. Thanks. <laughs> I, th- I mean, I think part of it also is that there's... I feel like I always want to emphasize that like every artist isn't always in the same place like sure to to one extent or another I think you're totally right Portia that every musician is also a business but I think one of the things that that I think we're doing a pretty good job of is making a service that's useful for an artist who bought a little two-channel mbox and made an album with you know Pro Tools Lite and wants that to be available so their friends can listen to it on Spotify, but also being a useful service for artists that are making hundreds of thousands of dollars a year and, and really rely on us for the, their sustenance and their and we're like part of their even a, a larger than small business. And I think that's something that I don't think there's that many companies in, in the music business that really straddle that divide in the same way. So I think that might be part of why we're successful. But I think again, it's mostly about just the artists are are super successful. We're able to work really closely with CD Baby as well, too, because these guys also make sure that they're all signed up with sound exchanges as you guys are doing, you know, collecting and getting distributing the music that you guys make sure that they're also affiliating with us to make sure that they get it, which is great.
That was Ballad of a Lady Man by Slater Kinney. If you're enjoying this program, please subscribe to our show on iTunes and leave us a review. To find out what's coming up next, follow us on Twitter at KRSFOW. Want an even closer look at issues we talk about on the show? Our monthly newsletter will keep you informed about news, upcoming events, episodes, and more. You'll also have access to exclusive offers and behind-the-scenes looks. Sign up at killrockstars.com slash thefutureofwhat. You're listening to The Future of What. We're talking to Maggie Vale, Ben Hubbard, Sierra Hager, and Wade Metzler. So Maggie, talk for a second about cash and what you guys do in terms of, uh, I think one of the coolest things about cash is that your mission originally was that given this fragmentation of the music industry and, and things got kind of broken down and, and bands are now very independent, the bands that are independent are pretty independent. And, and also the concurrent cultural thing, which is that everybody was just suddenly willing to put all their information on the internet right. for like no problem. Like, oh, you want my home address and birth date and, right. and, and, and here you go, <laughs> Amazon or whatever. Yeah. So all this stuff is owned by corporations. But I think Cash was started with this really great idea, which is like own your own yes. information. That is the number one thing we tell people. Own your own interactions with your fans like yes go through cd baby or whatever distribution you want to do get on spotify do all of those things but at the end of the day push people to you have your own website because if you want an actual career those are the people that are going to take you further like i said earlier in, in the introduction the most or the biggest example of someone using cash tools is, is run the jewels they give away their albums for free in exchange for an email address they now have like seven hundred thousand people on their email list which has seen them grow from here to oh my god you know I mean and and it's done with this sort of sense of respect that they give their fans back but no it's it's we've seen a rise of corporate consolidation on the internet faster than any other time in my life you know it's like we keep watching how these businesses are funded they take way 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 too much money and since the since I did the future of what podcast patreon have taken another 60 million dollars Yes, oh yes. That is a business that is going to go away or be sold. You cannot build your audience there. It's not wise. You know, I would advise against that sort of thing. But these, you know, these, you see these businesses come and go and they, they sell, they, they shutter. Gabriel Theodorus, I was talking to him, he's a rapper in Seattle. He was one of the first people that embraced MySpace. He had 80,000 fans on MySpace and he woke up one day and they were gone. And we're just going to see that happen over and over and over again. So what we advocate is build your own website, use these tools. We don't take any money. The data is yours. Make sure and control that interaction. So really the main question for take control of your business is what do, what's the number one thing you tell an artist about how they take control of their business? Yeah, I, I think that people come to us often sort of with this idea of like, I'm a serious band. I'm going to hire a publicist. And then my life will change. And I hope that that is true. But I, I think really what we founded our business on is the idea that like, we can do lots of things that can change the trajectory of a band. We can give you lots of information. We can like help you like correct things that might not be working quite as well. But like ultimately, yeah, God, you control your own destiny. <laughs> Sorry. You know, yeah, I guess that that's that's my thing is work harder and be better and like don't be afraid to try and pull coals in the thing that you're working in, even though that's really scary. Yeah, but you do control your own destiny and obviously your music does the talking, but now 
I've been in music, I know it doesn't look it, but for over 25 years. And when I was first doing A&R, I was getting sent cassette tapes, and you know, and it was, it was a very different time where you massage the relationship, and all of a sudden, maybe they would come to Los Angeles, and then you could go meet them, and you could go see their show, and have a meeting, et cetera. And now there's just so many tools to be able to expand your market like with what you guys are doing in cash music is just insane and you know it's 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 these are great tools for everybody to take advantage of and to attempt to build your audience as big as possible that's great i mean it's so much easier now i think it's ar's a piece of cake now oh yeah <laughs> nothing to it wade i'm going on vacation you can do it <laughs> I, I think there's also along with the fragmentation of of bands themselves, there's a concurrent fragmentation of like what you're talking about. Like there's all these different tools that you can use and there's CD baby and there's cash music and there's sound exchange and there's publicity and figuring out like, Oh my God, I'm overwhelmed. There's like, I need to be keeping up Facebook. We need to be doing Twitter. We need to be doing YouTube. And I think one of the things, I think part of what Maggie's getting at also is that like, sure you can do all that but like if you're doing that at the expense of your creative energy and if you're not owning your interactions with your fans directly when you perform a show and then like translating that interaction not into some like vanity number on your facebook page but into a real interaction with that fan by like face to face or with an email like to some extent, like you're wasting it. You like why pay Facebook for that? People ask me all the time, like, do I have to tweet? Do I have to do Instagram? I'm like, no. Only do what you want to do because it comes across as completely false and awful if you don't want to do it. <laughs> like, just you can say no to certain things. You can um, like find where your community is, figure yes. out where your strengths are, and yeah. focus on that. I mean, I think kind of what we're getting at though is just just like it's really fun to play music. And it's really fun to like be on a stage and have attention and stuff, but it's really hard to make it a business. That's why you don't know that many famous musicians, you know. <laughs> so just like That's try, really try harder. We should, we should just end it there. <laughs> yeah, I think I, I don't know how we where we can go from there. I think that Sierra has the last word. So I would like everyone to please thank my panel very much for being here today. city by the sea a gentle company I don't suppose you want to and as it tells its sorry tale in harrowing detail its hollowness will haunt you its streets and boulevards orphans and oligarchs and a plaintive melody truncated symphony and oceans garbled vomit on the shore Los Angeles I'm
was Los Angeles, I'm Yours by the Decemberists. You're listening to The Future of What? If you're enjoying this program, like us on Facebook and become a subscriber on iTunes. Support for The Future of What? comes from Merch Table. Kill Rockstars has partnered with Merch Table for almost six years now, and they've come through for us in a lot of ways. Like when the comedian Kurt Braunohler wanted a face towel with his face on it? Merch Table found a way to make this, and it's been one of our most popular items in our mail order store. KRS loves Merch Table. You're listening to The Future of What? We're talking to Mara McLaughlin, Andre Middleton, City Commissioner Chloe Udaly, Chris Young, and DJ Cliff. Okay, you guys. So we are here to talk about Music Portland. So Mara, can you start us off with just what is Music Portland? And what are, what is, what are we doing here? All right. So we, we all love music in Portland. We all understand it is this rare commodity, but it has never really been assembled to be a single thing. And we've spent the last two years or so with lots and lots and lots of people from the, all parts of the music ecosystem talking about what's good, what's bad. We did a census. We've got about 500 responses, asking people kind of qualitative questions about what they love, what they hate. Everybody acknowledges it's under threat, and so it's a really good time to follow the model of what a lot of other cities have done, which is to say, okay, let's coalesce, 
and in the, the words of Music Portland, be independent together, unite, support, and amplify all parts of the music ecosystem. And there's lots of tactics to make that happen, but we'll talk more about those for now. Andre, you want to jump in? I uh, used to work at the Regional Arts and Cultural Council, and um, we did actually a music forum here at Holocene. Let's give a big hand for applause for Holocene. Thank you for hosting this event. And like, what, like um, what Mira said, it's all about the ecosystem. How do we draw on different sectors, different people? And with me working with Friends of Noise, how do we get young people to realize their value, their creativity, and create a real pipeline, not just of musicians, but of young business people? I gotta give a big prop to Portia for always talking about the business side of the music industry and getting young people to understand that it's a business and they have value and the work that they create is an important part of it. And I'm just thrilled to be here. Can we get a big round of applause also for DJ Cliff? Always holding it down. The big part of this is also just networking and realizing that there are a lot of people in different sectors that if we can just come together, marshal our resources and really work together, we can make Music Portland a real force. Absolutely. So I want to tell a teeny story here because I think it's relevant. So I was asked to go to a conference in Australia this summer in Adelaide, which if you don't know where Adelaide is, neither does anybody else. <laughs> it is like literally the middle of nowhere. I mean, it's very much so. And I got off the plane and I'm in the airport in Adelaide and there is a whole wall painted in the airport that says, welcome music delegates to Adelaide, an international music city. And I was like, what? How did that happen? Right? Like that was just, I couldn't stop thinking about that because I was just like, what, what do we do that in Portland? Do we have a big, but we could, I mean, the Portland airport is very cool. There's no, there's a tender loving empire in the freaking Portland airport. Like we could make that happen if we can pull together and have a united voice. Right? So I think music Portland is exciting to me because it seems like that's kind of the direction we're going in. Chris, what's been your experience? Because you've been on, you're, you're, you've been working on this for the last couple of years as well. Yeah, definitely. I think for us, which this is what the future of what is great is, is focusing on the business of music. So I think that ultimately having artists think about what is their business side to their art, which is ultimately going to make them sustainable. And, and that's what we are always asking ourselves with Music Portland. Yeah, it's, it's great to release music and have shows and have parties and do all that kind of stuff. But how can we actually sustain this as something in 10 years, in 20 years, in 30 years? And we have so many places that we can look to for examples. You know, like Austin took a very proactive approach for how they dealt with some of their gentrification and growth issues and things like that. And a city like San Francisco seemed to take a very passive approach. So I think our goal here is to really combine together as a community and take an active approach to make our own destiny. What did Sierra say? Yeah. Is that going to be the theme of the night? <laughs> Create your own destiny. Awesome. So it, it, this is not also, this is not just for artists, right? I mean, the idea of Music Portland is that we're going to get everybody together. I mean, who was it? I think I just heard somebody told me that Ryan Wines of Marmoset said that we have a music uh, scene in Portland, but we don't have a music industry. And I think that's a really powerful statement because we, I think we do have a music industry here. I think we've got lots of industry. We just don't have this coalesced 
exactly. vision of it, right? Yeah, exactly. In fact, you know, as we look at it and we think you've got the musicians, you've got music makers, which are an incredible wealth of, you know, amps and pedals and microphones and cables and drums and guitars, and people are actually creating stuff here. In fact, one of the things we are putting together is a Portland backline that can be used in a variety of situations that say, look, Portland is a music manufacturing center. We can fill out a complete backline with first quality stuff. In fact, I was just in London, walked into a pro audio shop. The center display, biggest display, was Audix microphones and ear trumpet labs in London. So it isn't, it is absolutely already here that we are a music center for makers, we're a music center for production, world-class production facilities. We are with labels, we've got tons of labels. They're the key indie music distribution and licensing companies are here. None of that is by accident. This is a naturally coalesced group. It just needs to be formally coalesced. So by that, by coming together, we can make everything more sustainable and grow it and make sure that all of the different entities that are benefiting from it, not just the musicians and, and the businesses to make a living wage, but make sure that the businesses that are locating here, because they are locating here in no small part because people want to live here, because there's great environment, there's great food, but there's great music culturally. It's nationally and internationally recognized. That shouldn't come free. So it's about connecting a lot of dots between the city and the corporations and the music industry in its own right to bring all that stuff together. We should have a phenomenal industry and we do not want to be San Francisco. So Chloe, in Seattle, they had this Office of Film and Television, which has now become the Office of Film, Music, and Television. So what do you feel that the cities, I mean, everything that we've heard so far is that the city is very positive towards this. But what's your feeling? Towards Music Portland? Yeah, towards this idea of Music Portland. Do you think that this is something the city could get behind? Yeah, I mean, I think the council in general is fairly arts-friendly, but you definitely have two champions of the arts on council, which is Commissioner Fish, who is our arts official arts commissioner, and me, his friendly sidekick. Yay. Um, I just want to say, you know, I was a bookseller for 22 years, but before I opened my bookstore, the Portland's music scene was really the center of my life. And my store was actually inspired by an all-ages music venue called the X-Ray Cafe. So, yeah. Yay, X-Ray. Although my level of participation in the music scene has been as a fan and as a karaoke chanteuse, I, it's very near and dear to my heart. And... I mean, I, I would just like to say that musicians are artists. Art is a calling, and art is essential, and it can feel incredibly crass to talk about the economics of art and industry, but it, it is a way for musicians to recognize their value and their, in their place in our city and to lobby and advocate. So... I'm really interested in the idea of setting up a film, music, and festival office in my bureau, which is Bureau of Development Services. Great. Who, who knew there was so much love in the audience for BDS? And that would basically create kind of a one-stop shop for people to come get permits. Sometimes you need permits from multiple bureaus. So, you know, maybe there would be a concierge that would help you through that whole 
process. So I'm mostly just here to listen and learn and think about how, how the city could support Music Portland. Thank you. I think a point that you made about the one-stop shop is really important. As Portland is going through a variety of gentrification, displacement, there are a lot of people who want to be a part of this ecosystem, but due to historical issues around you know, racism and lack of access to equipment and a lack of access to spaces, I think it really is important to think about how people can get better on-ramps into that space. You know, There are so many events, you know, whether it's mic check, whether it's the thesis, that are literally just holding on the space to create space. And I'd love to hear DJ Cliff talk about you know, the ground up, the grass level roots of people that are really trying to make a difference, yet they're still being, having to fight against some real systemic issues. Well, I think like you, like you mentioned, there's, there's definitely a history of that. But I also think that there's been a lot of growth, especially in the last few years. You know, Mike Check actually came out of a situation similar to this, where a, a large group in Portland saw the, the need, the lack of support for the local hip hop community. And I was approached and, and said, hey, we have venues. What can we do? How can we help grow that? And sometimes that's all it takes is, somebody, is someone, someone recognizing a need, seeing that what they have to give, and then offering that up. And the support has been, has been really good thus far. It's continuing to grow. I think that it's interesting to hear the thought that you know, some people feel like there's no industry here. Because I can remember years ago when I first started um, working to build with the, with the local community, that's what someone said to me when I asked me, how come there's so much talent here? How come it's not moving forward? And someone mentioned, well, there's no industry here. And I, I believe the same thing. I think that there have been little pockets throughout the city and folk just weren't communicating with one another. And I don't necessarily think that's a negative thing. I think when you're in your space, sometimes you're just in your space. But when we get together like this and you hear, hey, I have a need over here, and someone says, hey, I have a way to meet that need, and you bring those people together, I think that's how you can grow the next thing. And that's where things like Mic Check and the thesis and even KZME and X-Ray, and that's where these things came from, was somebody just had an idea and then someone moved on it. I think one of the other, another great things, props. I think one of the other great things that Music Portland can grow into is the notion of institutional awareness and knowledge that is passed on. I've been in Portland for going on 25 years, and whether it's clubs like Satyricon or Pine Street or Meow Meow or the Warehouse, and unfortunately, you know, venues they rise and fall. And at times, there's information, there's knowledge that could be shared across generations, which is one thing the Friends of Noise is trying to do. How do we make sure that young people have an awareness and a knowledge? of experiences, of lessons learned. And unfortunately, I think so far in Portland, when an event, when like a, a space closes or a big event closes like Music Fest Northwest, that information stops with that. And I think Music Portland can figure out a way of extending that through, like I said, through time. was the Eyebright Bugler by Deerhoof. If you're enjoying this program, please subscribe to our show on iTunes and leave us a review. 
To find out what's coming up next, follow us on Twitter at KRSFOW. You're listening to The Future of What? We're talking to Mara McLaughlin, Andre Middleton, City Commissioner Chloe Udaly, Chris Young, and DJ Cliff. So, Mary, you want to tell us, because there is an initiative right now that you guys are working on with Music Portland. You want to tell us yes. about that? Yes. In fact, Chris, you want, to, you want to take a hit at this one? Yeah, totally. Where's Bruce? Right back there. So with Bruce Fife from the Musicians Union here in Portland, we've been working on an initiative that is loading zones for musicians in Portland. And this is actually an initiative that he has worked on before in other cities and one that they succeeded with in Seattle. And there's actually signage in Seattle now that tells that that this is a specific loading zone as well as like access for musicians to load in and out. Not my bureau. Not my bureau, but I'll help you lobby. Totally, but you can help us with the inroads. Yeah, so we we put out a survey a week or two ago to just do the initial data collection process on that, and I I just checked the results this morning too, and 50% of musicians that have responded have said that yes, they have been ticketed at least one time while loading in and out, and I think that like the highest percentage was like a 50 to 75 dollar ticket. So I mean, that's significant if you're if you're going to play a show and you're potentially opening, you know, you're getting paid in drink tickets or whatever someone's offering you, a $75 ticket is a real bummer on your night and that's probably happened before your night even started. So um, we've got a survey out there that's live right now and if you wanna check that out, you can fill it out if you're a local musician. But it's initiatives like that, that that we wanna look at ways that can make things more sustainable, can improve musicians' lives, can can just help people build a business and also get musicians to think about themselves as a business and that wealth of knowledge that, that Andre is talking about. There are other initiatives that we're starting. I am quitting my day job of 30 years. Bruce, you heard me. Um, <laughs> at the end of this year to devote myself to this because it really it needs a center. It needs somebody in the middle doing the assembly and weaving. So, and my husband's tired of hearing me complain about this. So, but other things that we're doing, working with Willamette Week to create a Portland Music Makers Fair that starts to amplify that. We're trying to create new experiences and opportunities for Portland musicians, trying to create a collective brand that people go out when they tour and you're a band on tour and you've got a Music Portland label on your poster and somebody says, I don't know anything about that band, but Portland's really cool. I'm going to go check them out. Like, think about the collective opportunity that we have to lift all of ourselves up to really help everybody succeed and do better. And I had a friend from New York who's a a theater guy, and he said, I don't know if it's possible. I mean, in New York, it doesn't matter if you dig ditches and you never go to see Broadway. You take into yourself, you have as part of your DNA a pride that you live in a town that's got the best theater in the world. It's grand, it's an audacious hope, but I would love through stories, through representation, to get Portlanders, whether or not they've ever gone to see a show, whether they go to see live music, but to, so, well, I live in Portland, yeah, I mean, we've got amazing music. I want people to brag about the fact that they live here. And that's about creating a collective voice in editorial, in events, in signage, in programs, that really get everybody, audience, musicians, manufacturers, promoters, and venues to all be on the same page and aiming at the same target, which I think is attainable. I completely completely agree. I'm not sure how how to follow that. I think that's exactly what we're... (laughs) Mira's the closer. She's the closer. (laughs) I think think Mira closed it up. Does anyone have any last words on this? You know, we could go on and on here, but... uh... 
Mira mentioned Willamette Week, and I want to give them a big shout-out and props for their... They have their Give Guide coming up very shortly, and it's supporting organizations like Friends of Noise and Rock Roll Camp for Girls and X-Ray and letting people know that there are ways that you can not only contribute but participate in this process. You know, money talks and, you know, other things walk. But it's important to realize that um, each of us has a, way, a real way of contributing to this music that is part of Portland. Absolutely. Musicportland.org currently still has the census up. Raise your hand, get involved, share it with all your friends. We stand better together. And it'll be a new website soon. I would just add that there's some larger conversations to have. If we want to have a vibrant, vital music community, we also have to have an affordable city for everyone. So housing is essential. Of course, practice spaces, venues are essential. So I wanted to tell Cliff, who's gone now, that I am actually... Back at the DJ booth. Hey, Cliff. I, I am committed to correcting some of those historical inequities in the treatment of different types of music venues through ONI and the noise office. It's one of a couple of the ironies of my job is I'm the commissioner in charge of noise, and I'm commissioner in charge of cannabis. And... <laughs> All sorts of good stuff, but... Um, Chloe for mayor. <laughs> Damn you, Andre. Um, so, I mean, I get lots of different groups making asks of me, and my ask of you is that you come out to support us when we're pushing initiatives on affordability because it, it, is, it is vital to the music community. And I also just want to give a shout-out to our fire chief, who is an incredible guy, who is really committed to harm reduction, and he's also committed to working with people who are using kind of in improvised spaces to make them safer and kind of get to legal. One of my big concerns after the ghost ship fire was that we were gonna see a citywide crackdown on these- Alternative spaces? Alternative spaces, and that was the first reaction, but I, I think we can take a more kind of informed, nuanced approach. And so I just love Chief Myers, and I like to give him props whenever I can. So awesome. we're looking at that, too. Cool. Well, thank you so much to all my panelists. You guys are awesome. Thank you, Portia. Thank you so much. Thank you, Portia. And that's our show. The music we played today was used by permission. You heard Slater Kinney, The Decemberists, Deerhoof, and of course, our theme song, Mind Your Own Business by The Delta Five. Subscribe to our podcast on iTunes and leave us a review. For more info on our shows, check out our website at killrockstars.com slash the future of what and sign up for our newsletter. Our program was engineered by Brent Asbury at Beta Petrol and is produced by Will Watts and Anna McLean. I'm Portia Sabin, president of Kill Rockstars. See you next week. This is the Jabberjaw Podcast Network.